0: Well, growing up, like decorating the tree and everything was awesome. Like, did you guys not look forward to that? But you get to high school, and you're just kind of like, Seriously, Mom? Like, again? Can't I just go out tonight? Um, it loses its, its, I don't know, its shininess, its luster. It, it's just not that fun anymore. Um, on my street, not only do you decorate the inside, but there's lights. Everybody has to put up lights on the outside. Um, and, and you could say, Brad, you don't have to put up the lights outside. But I would say, yes, I do. Because our whole street, everybody has lights. And I would be the Scrooge that doesn't have lights. And some of our neighbors know that I, like, work at a church. And they might be like, you're a Scrooge and a pastor. And that doesn't, that doesn't jive. Where's the lights at? So who's the first guy that looked at his house and said, let's put lights on the roof. Let's go to the edge of the roof and hang the lights there. That's a great idea. Who ever thought of that? We have grown men trying to, like, stay stable on their roof, and going to the edge and hanging up the lights. Now, lucky for me, five years ago, my father-in-law fell off the roof, taking the lights down. And my wife actually saw him fall, I think, from inside the garage. ER, uh, or ambulance was called, and so, and so I get a pass on getting on the roof, which is terrific. Thank you, Mel, for breaking your back for my sake. And yet, and yet, he didn't break his back. He's fine. Um I still have to put up lights, and so I waited until the 60-degree weather around Thanksgiving is over, and uh, a week later in the 40s, I just dreaded, like, i got to put these lights up on a railing, on the tree, whatever, now it looks nice, I'm not a Scrooge. <laughs> Decorations. Okay, here's presents. Presents make Christmas complicated. It's great to receive presents. You guys, getting, you guys are getting out of the phase where you still receive presents, but now you're in high school, you got to buy presents. You probably did that since middle school. But you also have to buy presents. you got to get something for mom and dad. Maybe some of you don't, and that's bad for your parents. Um, but for your siblings, maybe there's step-siblings, you have to go and buy presents. So you go to the mall, and where do I start? And that's complicated. Um, okay, and then when it comes to Christmas Eve, okay, people you don't like come to your house. That complicates things. That's not always a great time, people you're related to. Um, a lot of times, so it's like, uh, or you go to your Uncle Bill's house, and therefore people don't come to your house, but you are the people that they don't like, and now you're at their house. And you haven't talked to your cousins all year long, and they're just kind of awkward, and that one cousin, he, I don't know, he's just, he's just weird, and it's awkward, and it's complicated. By the end, by the whole end of the trip, you and your cousins are like, great, but before that, yeah, like we haven't talked all year, and what's your name again? It's complicated. <laughs> oh, and then this. On Christmas Eve, this complicates things. There's those parents out there, and there's a lot of them. Um, some of you, you, you're used to this. Everything has to be perfect. Why? Because it's Christmas Eve. Everything's going to be perfect. In fact, this is awesome. We were, uh, I was hanging out with uh, Isaac and Maria. I was talking to them like a week ago. Um, and Isaac and Maria, Maria said this. They were, they're going to, their, to her parents' house this Christmas. And she particularly was talking about how stressful it was going to be this year. And, you know, maybe we should host, but they would never go for that. And my mom's, like, all about it. And she talked about the stress of these expectations. And I was kind of like, what expectations are you talking about? And I don't remember the exact phrase, but I think she said something like, "Um, here's the expectation. The expectation that 100% of the time is wonderful family time. It's wonderful. 100% of the time has to be wonderful family time. Isn't that nice? Isn't that so sweet? But we all know how that goes, right? When everything has to be perfect. It's this disaster. You go to Christmas Eve, or you go to church on Christmas Eve? Most of you do. Some of you, going to church is normal. But for a lot of the U.S., going to church on Christmas Eve, it's the one time they go. And so, you got to dress up the whole family, and mom wants to make sure everybody looks nice. And your little sister and your mom's like, you keep the bow in your hair! You keep it! And she's like, and you're like trying to get your dress, and you're like, I look weird this dress makes me and the, your brother's like Who have to wear a tie and your mom's like wear the tie and you're like nobody wears ties anymore but you you never go to church or your parents never go to church and so they're like you gotta you gotta look your best how many of you like have you, do you fight on the way to church we always it was like you fight on the way to church and then everyone has to wear a happy pretty face when you walk into the church like everything's great my dad was just flipping out in the car like freaking out on all of us but now we're good um, like I said, divorce, some of you have divorced families. That complicates things. It complicates things all the time, but especially at Christmas. So you get on Christmas break, and uh, so for the, the days leading up to Christmas, um, you're with your dad and your new stepmom. Maybe, you're, maybe your parents are remarried now, too. So you got the stepmom and her kids, and then on Christmas, you, you got to go to mom's house now, and you're with your stepdad, and you got to do Christmas with them, or you're traveling eight hours um, for Leslie and I, um, we did Thanksgiving at Leslie's family, and so now Christmas is with my family. So, you see, you, get, you guys get to look forward to this when you get married. My parents don't live in Omaha, and so you can't share every holiday, and so you're going to have to figure this out with your spouse when you get married. Where are we going to spend what holidays? So Leslie and I flip flop. So next year, one of my parents for Thanksgiving, Christmas at hers. But get this, so five-hour drive to my parents, not that bad. But my brother refuses to go, or just doesn't refuse. He doesn't want to go to my parents' house. They've got three kids. It's like 12,000 miles. I understand. So, we, so Leslie and I have to pack up our kids and drive a, across the, the lovely state of Missouri to, to my brother's house. Yes. <laughs> Christmas traveling trips. I kind of liked those when I was a kid, but when you have kids someday, you'll see. It's a nightmare. It's awful. Now, so here's the thing. I mean, there's, for all kinds of reasons... Um, Christmas can be complicated. It's great getting gifts, but it's complicated. And if I had a magic wand and I could somehow wave it over all of you and take the complication out of Christmas, I would do that. But I can't, obviously. But amidst all the complexity of everything, there is one thing that shouldn't be complicated, and that's the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas. And unfortunately... Um, very often, even the message of Christmas gets complicated. Most of the time, that's certainly not your fault. Half the time, it's my fault. It's the preacher's fault. Um, It's the church's fault, because like I said, you maybe don't go to church, or a lot of America doesn't go to church at all, but on Christmas and Easter, and you go to church as a family, and they get up there, and you get done, and people are like, what did he say? I'm so confused. Or they're like, I've heard this story a million times, and Mary and Joseph, and miraculous conception, and long journey to Bethlehem, no room in the inn, manger, happiness, you know, shining from the star. Like, I've heard it before, and they're just like, what's the point of all this? Is this supposed to make me feel warm and fuzzy? Because that's what it does. What do I do? Now, it's not only the church's fault, okay? I mean, obviously, our culture has kind of done something. Okay, let's be honest. Anytime you're going to receive, like, presents, period, um, you're like, how does your selfishness not like totally, you're like, what am I going to get? Anytime I want to, if I'm going to get one present, even if it's your birthday, it doesn't matter what else is going on. You're like, I wonder what I'm getting for my birthday. I'm so excited about presents. So our culture obviously has a role in this, has done a masterful job of taking a Christ-centered holiday and making it about um, materialism and getting more stuff and all of that. But here's the thing. Um, The message shouldn't be complicated. A lot of times we complicate it. Now, one more thing, one more illustration. I had uh, Caleb Hackett bring this, and it's kind of on the, uh, the old logo up there. Speaking of complicated, when I was a kid, my dad had a Rubik's Cube just like this that he always kept on his desk. And uh, my dad worked at home when I was growing up until so his office was at home, and to, uh, to a little kid, this looks like an awesome toy. It's about the size of a toy. It's it's like it's fun like a toy. I'm not like a kitten, but I was... It's colorful. It moves. It's awesome. But to me, to little eight-year-old Brad Zook, this thing, like, make me feel like I was taking crazy pills. Like, how do you solve this thing? I feel like I'm getting kicked in the head. And I never have been able to figure it out. If anything's complicated, okay, these things are complicated. Now, just to give a shout-out... Um, Caleb Hackett and uh, Gabe McAndrews, and and I think Will said this, perhaps others of you in here, can solve this thing pretty darn fast. And many of you have seen this. Caleb can do it. I'm not going to have him do it tonight. Caleb can do this, solve it in 28 seconds. 28 seconds. It's already solved. It's already solved. But, it's already solved. What's going to happen? What I'm saying is, for so many of us, you guys, Christmas time comes around, and we, quite honestly, we maybe fall in love with the busyness, and the schedules, and the malls, and the presents, and the decorations, and the parties, and the giving, and the family stuff. And all the while, the true message of Christmas just falls by the wayside. And we know that, and uh, even when we go to church, we end up maybe confused, or we're more just thinking about the dinner we're going to eat afterwards, and it's almost like a Rubik's Cube, and you end up thinking, this is crazy, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, what do I do? So tonight, um, I want to at least try, and I know I'm not going to take the, uh, all the complication out of Christmas, but I at least want to try to uncomplicate the message of Christmas for us, because if there's anything that we should truly get out of Christmas time, it's the simple, simple message of Christmas. So check this out, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Chapter two. And we're not going to be here long, but in the New Testament book of Luke, so Luke is this doctor. He was not a disciple of Christ, but he, um, he wanted to put together a very accurate, um, a very accurate depiction of the life of Christ. And so Luke goes around and actually interviews eyewitnesses to come up with this, this letter, these writings that were eventually ended up in the New Testament, but it was just he just wrote down an account of Jesus' life. Um, If you read chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, you can see that. He talks to eyewitnesses who were with Jesus. And uh, here's the thing. So now Luke is talking about, right in chapter 2, the events surrounding the birth of Christ. And uh, verse 8, every time I read this, it makes me think of Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and Linus would say, "In the glory of the Lord Showed round about them, and they were sore afraid. My this this version says terrified. I don't know why they were sore afraid. I don't even know what that means, but they were terrified. And get this: so the shepherds are out there in verse ten, but an angel said to them, "Do not be afraid." Which is like, okay, sure, yeah, we're, we're, this happens all the time. The sky lights up, and an angel is talking to us. This is great. They they are terrified. The angel says, "Don't be afraid." Why he says this, I bring, you, I bring you good news. I've come to bring you good news. This is right at the beginning. Jesus has just been born, and the angel says, check it out, this is good news. That's where we get the word gospel. We've talked a ton about the gospel in the past couple of years. In the Greek, this word is uh, euangelizo, or I've said before, euangelion, which is where we get the word evangelism, evangelism. Um, Evangelizo. it literally means what this word means is proclaiming glad tidings, proclaiming the proclamation of good news. In fact, in the Greek, good news, it's all just that one word. There aren't two words in the Greek, which is what this was originally written in. One word, this has has the goodness in it. It's just proclaiming good news, glad tidings. And so the angel says, I bring you good news of what? Of great joy. Great joy. That will be for who? For all the people. For all the people. Not just for you shepherds. Not just for Jewish shepherds. Not just for Jews in general. Not just for people in the first century. For all people. Good news of great joy for all the people. He says, today in the town of David, get this, a Savior. They were longing for this Savior. We just talked about this in the last series. They were so longing. A Savior is here. He's been born to you. He's Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord. He's the master. He's the one who we've all been longing for, and he's here, and it's good news. So here's the thing. Even if we stopped right here, and we're going to go to a different book, an angel comes to the shepherds right at the beginning and says, look, all this Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Son of God, everything, he goes, make sure you do not miss that the fundamental message is good news. And so I would say just this, if there's anything ever about Christianity, about the message of Christmas, about the church in general, that has ever not been good news to you, that has ever struck you the wrong way, then maybe somebody has represented Christianity poorly. Then maybe somebody has given you a bad representation of Christianity that whoever it was or whatever it was for you that caused the church to be bad news, the angel's saying, look, this is good news. Now, we need good news. Our condition right now is not the greatest news. We'll kind of get to that. But if there's anything that, about church, about God, about Christmas that is complicated, the angel here says the simple, simple message is it's really, really good news. It should bring you great joy, more than That new iPod or whatever you're getting for Christmas. Here's the thing. If if it's good news, I've said this before, then that means something good has already happened, has already been done, or will happen. Good news means it's not good advice. That if you think fundamentally church is all about the thou shalt not, thou shalt not, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't. It's fundamentally good news. Have you ever... If anyone's ever said to you, you know what, son, you better get your act together. Have you ever thought of that as good news? No, that's not good news. You just can't even reconcile that with good news. It's good news like, hey, you need to, you need to clean your room. No, that's not really good news. Good news is there's no homework this weekend. Good news is you just got an A on that Algebra 2 test you took. It's, it's proclaiming glad tidings. It's a good report. Good news is... We're going to Disney World over Christmas break. But it's never this condemning, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. So it's not do more, it's look at what God has already done for us. It's really good news. So here's the thing. I want to be crystal clear here. The message of Christmas is, guess what? 100% good news. Okay? Write that down. I know that's like profoundly new and insightful. But write that down. So, we're going to go to one more passage tonight. Um, Right after the book of Luke is uh, the book of John. Flip there. John was one of Jesus' disciples. John didn't just write this Gospel of John. He wrote, like, these shorter letters later on in the book. Um, I know most of you know that, but don't go to the wrong John. So, go go to John chapter 3. Um, here's how close John was to Jesus. One, and again, maybe you've heard this before, Jesus, or John referred to himself as the, the one that Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, John was so close to Jesus that as Jesus is hanging on, on the cross, Jesus says to Mary, Mary, behold your son, and to John he says, behold your mother. Um, okay, so there's like close friends, and then there's relatives, and then there's people that you leave your mother with when you know you're going to die. Or your kids with. Um, I, I even kind of wrote this. A lot of you leaders in here, maybe you've gone on a trip before, and uh, maybe it was far away, and you wrote up a will. About a month ago, a little over a month ago, James and Carly are right back here, went on a trip. Didn't have a will. They have a one-year-old girl named Bailey. And uh, so they made up a will. And I got to be a witness to that, and James signed that. Because there's friends, there's close friends, but then there's the people that James and Carly put on that will, and I don't know who it is, that they would leave their kids to. Who is that? Well, to Jesus... That was John. That's how close John was to Jesus. And so can you imagine, John, I think, is an older older man now as he's writing this this book. Um, Can you imagine how popular John must have been? He'd been with Jesus. And Jesus is long gone at this point. Like, say you had a great-grandpa or a great-great-grandpa who's really famous, and uh, maybe he died, but you found out that there was someone still alive that knew your great-great-grandpa. Would you not, like, want to go and love to, like, drill them with questions, like, John, just tell us about Jesus. Tell us about the things he said. What did he do? And so John writes all this stuff down. Um, So here's the thing. You guys have heard of Nicodemus, some of you, Nicodemus, John 3. You've heard this whole story many times. But so John's recording this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, comes to him at night. He's kind of afraid of the other Pharisees. And they have this conversation. And so Nicodemus asks him a question. And they go back and forth. So He asks, and Jesus says this, and then Nicodemus says this, and then Jesus says, really, you don't get it? And Nicodemus, and then Jesus. And eventually, we get to this. In the middle of the story, you probably know where I'm going, John records these words of Jesus that are obviously the most famous words of Jesus that John records. And in fact, they're probably the most famous words in the entire New Testament, maybe in the whole Bible. And, uh, and he says this. Jesus says to Nicodemus, um, hey, this is what you got to know. You you want me to get right to the core? I mean, Nicodemus comes to him and says, "What, what am I supposed to do? What's this all about? Jesus says, look, God so loved the world he gave. God so loved the world he did what in love people do. He gave. He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him won't perish, will never perish, but have eternal life. God so loved, He gave. Now, one point of clarification here. Those of you that are new to church, I just always kind of think of you. He gave His one and only Son. Real quick, that does not mean, when you see that in the Bible, no, some of you may be confused about this, you're new to the Bible. No, that that doesn't mean that God the Father had had like a relationship with Mother Nature or something, and they had spirit babies, and one of them was Jesus. Some of you on it know that's... You're confused by like, so he's the son of God, so who is Jesus' mother? Did God have sex with somebody else? And I've heard that Mother Nature thing before. Um, That term is the correct term. It's an accurate term, son of God. But think of it more as a relational term. So Jesus is fully God too, but think of it more in the Jesus submitted to the Father... Um, so when you read Son of God, don't think like, was there a mom involved somewhere? No. It's, an, it's a good term, it's an accepted term, but just know that. Um, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So why did he give his one and only son? So many of us know this, but we forget it, and it's what we need to hear, and it's, it's, it's kind of the main thing. Here's why, here's why Jesus sent his son, because our sin and our rebellion, you guys, left us doomed. We were doomed by, you know what? What is it? God's wrath. Why does God have wrath? Because we've rebelled against God and a a just and a holy and a righteous God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so, oops, we sinned. We couldn't help that. But you know what? Still the penalty is death. Ouch. Death forever, separation from God. And the only thing, the only thing that could be good news in that situation is if somebody came along It was absolutely perfect, 100% perfect and righteous, and took our place, which is what Jesus did. He was 100% God and 100% man, and he lived his perfect life. If he hadn't lived a perfect life, he would deserve the death penalty just like us, but he didn't. He never screwed up. He never told one little white lie. He never hid something. He never took something that didn't belong to him, and he died in our place. He took our death penalty for us. This glorious exchange where he gets all of our sin and we get all of his perfect and glorious righteousness. And you don't feel perfect, but God looks at you if you're a Christian and says you're perfect. You're mine. All I see is the blood of Christ. Do you know that? When, we, when you're a Christian and you start going back into your old habits, you're having a temporary like, identity crisis. You're forgetting who you actually are. Like, you're not that way anymore. You're a new person you have a whole new identity you have a whole new status that word believe here whoever believes in him quick clarification on that that does not mean like a lot of people think like your friends at school think like some of you in here think that that believes that jesus existed it means more than that i know that that's how we think the word believe comes across like oh i used to believe in santa claus what that word is, is, is trying to get across is much more than just uh, knowing that something exists or that somebody existed. The word I even... Okay, this is what my concise dictionary, concise Bible dictionary says. It refers more to a reliance on or to place your confidence in. I prefer the phrase to trust. It means to trust. It's a whole lot more than just a mere credence to or like an intellectual assent to. God so loved... He gave, that whoever trusts in Christ won't perish, but will have eternal life. So here it is again. The message of Christmas is 100% good news. God loved, God gave, you believe, you receive. And it's pretty simple. Keep in mind, too, that when Jesus talks about eternal life here, Jesus never connected eternal life with heaven. We like to do that. Jesus, in John 17, said this is eternal life. It's knowing God. It's having a relationship with God and Jesus Christ, His Son. So know that it's not even about heaven as much as it is about Jesus. So, one final thing, and we'll close. Um, For those of you here tonight that aren't Christians, that would just, you know I'm not a Christian. The only question I have is, have you ever had that defining moment in your life when you said, I want to give... I want to give my life to Christ. I want to trust in Jesus more than I'm trusting in myself. It's as simple as, they always use the stool. Look, I can look at the stool, I believe in the stool. I'm believing in the stool, but I'm not trusting in the stool because I'm not putting my weight on it. I'm not relying on it. Now, I'm trusting in the stool. That's the difference. You can believe in the stool all day long. You can be- oh, I believe in God. Oh, yeah. It's not just about not being an atheist. Oh, sure, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. So I'm saved, right? No, no, no. The Bible says, trust Put your faith in. Who are you relying on? And so the question is, have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you said, Jesus, I realize I've, I've messed up and I need a perfect substitutionary Savior. I need a perfect Savior. I need a Messiah. I need, I need God to come and rescue me. And that's exactly what he'll do. And so you could pray a prayer tonight that we'll pray in just a second. And you can say, God, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. I want to put my trust in you. I'm tired of trusting only in myself. Um, For the rest of you, a lot of you in here, you say like, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 10 years. At one point, if you've at one point in your life already done that, you do need to ask yourself the same question. Do I truly want Jesus? Or do I just want God's stuff? Do I just want blessings? Do I just do this because I want a good life, a happy life, a comfortable life? Do I just... Do this, all of this? Pray, read my Bible, go to church so I can have heaven? Do I secretly love my sin and I can't give it up? Think about that stuff. That's the question you have to wrestle with. Are you drifting away from God? And if so, why are you drifting? And I would answer that to say you're probably drifting because you love stuff here on earth more than you love Jesus. And stuff's good, I'm not denying stuff. iPod's really cool. Just don't worship it. It's not God. You can enjoy all kinds of stuff. God gave it to us to enjoy. But so even you, Christian, you need to cry out to God. Where are you at with God? As you prepare for this Christmas season, where are you at with God? As Jesus, as we celebrate his birth, where are you at with God? God loved. God gave. We, rec- we believe, we receive, okay? It's simple. It's very, very simple. Let's pray. Father, um, God, this time of year, there's just so much. There's just so much that gets in the way. There's so much to do. There's so much to think about. And God, so, so much of it is very, very good. But it distracts us from you, God. And it distracts us from the true message of Christmas. And it complicates things. And so, God, I know that most of us in here tonight, this was not brand new news, but God, it's not. I pray that we wouldn't move past the gospel, that we would realize that every day we need the gospel. But so, God, there are people in here tonight that maybe have never prayed and said, Jesus, I want to do life with you. I want, to, I want you to come into my life. I, I want to place my trust in you. I'm tired of being my own master. And so if that's you tonight, you can just pray that simple prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, but you can just say, God... I want you to be my heavenly father. I've screwed up. I've sinned. I've made all kinds of stuff. And God, I'm tired of being the master of my life. I want to put my trust in you. God, I trust you for my eternity. I trust you for salvation. Jesus, I want you more than I want my sin. And so I want to give my life to you tonight. And it's just, it could be whatever, as simple as that. God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would cry out to you tonight. God, some of us, we've got secret sin. And we just keep it all to ourselves, and God, secretly, we love it. And we, we do all this stuff, and it's fine, but God, we're living in an identity crisis. And God, we're new, and you say we're new, and we intellectually, we know that, but we're not living it out. God, I pray that we would come to terms with that. I pray that we would cry out to you, that maybe tonight, we'd, we'd repent, we'd turn away, which is what that means from that stuff, and we'd turn to you. So. God, we need you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it has to teach us. Thank you for the simple, simple message of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.